Australia. Most people think of Crocodile Dundee, Waltzing Matilda, Bush Hats and Billy Cans. It's the home of kangaroos and koalas, a vast continent of dramatic scenery as varied as the people that inhabit the land. Australia's outback with its arid scenery, broken by spinifex bushes and surreal rock formations, is inhabited by dingoes and wallabies. It's been home to the Aborigines for generations. Their secret dreamtime ceremonies keep alive the ancient traditions of a great catastrophe. Rising like a monolith out of the Red Desert in the heart of the Australian continent, Ayers Rock is a sacred place for Aborigines. They call the rock Uluru. It's the site of secret initiation rites and animist rituals, a place where ancient traditions are kept alive. In dreamtime ceremonies, Aborigines recall a time of cataclysmic flooding. Cruelty provoked the anger of the Great Father. He became very angry and decided to drown the people. The thunder began to roll and crash. There was a terrible wind and the people were greatly afraid. Then the sea came crashing over the ranges from the north and the flood rose higher and higher until all the land was covered. According to the Genesis account, the Earth was struck by an immense catastrophe a few thousand years ago, when almost all life was destroyed and the Earth was flooded. Only Noah's family and the creatures they saved survived to repopulate the Earth. with a difference looking at evidence of the Genesis flood in Australia. What the Bible says about the history of the world is true. There was a flood in the days of Noah, a global catastrophic flood. I don't believe in evolution, I know creation's true. The reality of a recent global flood was generally accepted until the last century, when an aristocratic British geologist, Sir Charles Lyell, threw out the idea of global catastrophe Modern geology is founded on Lyell's ideas that slow, gradual changes shape the Earth over millions of years. But the idea of eons of uninterrupted change is under attack by experts around the world. And in Australia, some geologists find clearly written in the rocks the story of recent catastrophe. The conventional wisdom says that the geological features of Australia form slowly and gradually over millions of years. That is not the case. Indeed, I'm convinced that the evidence is more consistent with what the Bible says about a global catastrophic flood in the recent past. Now, this is not just a matter of faith. This is also a matter of studying the geological evidence. Uluru is an enigma. It's thought to be millions of years old and formed by gradual processes. But a closer look at the rock suggests it's much more recent and shaped by raging waters. The thickness of sandstone we see exposed in Uluru, or Ayers Rock itself, is over two kilometres thickness of sand. Think of 
two kilometres thickness of sand being moved very rapidly, you're talking about global catastrophic flood conditions. The record in the Bible says that at the end of the flood, the, the valleys sank, the mountains rose. There were earth movements on a grand scale so that rock layers would have been tilted up. The retreating floodwaters would have then carved out the countryside. And in the case of Uluru, that monolith that's exposed at the Earth's surface, it survived the ravages of that erosion and stood out today at the present land surface after the waters had fully retreated. Today, most geologists consider Noah's flood and other flood accounts just ancient myths. But some geologists disagree. Dr. Andrew Snelling, a consultant geologist and research scientist, is editor of Creation Ex Nihilo Technical Journal, published by the Creation Science Foundation. He finds evidence that the biblical flood was a real event, still remembered in the legends of different cultures around the world. The biblical flood model goes against the grain of gradualist dogma. Opposition from skeptics and from anti-religious opponents of the creationist view has been outspoken, sometimes even vicious and libelous. The conventional wisdom of millions of years of slow and gradual geological processes cannot explain the features that we see here in Australia. Uluru is made of arcos, a type of sandstone containing quartz and feldspar, which quickly weathers and decomposes to form clay. A red coating of iron oxide doesn't protect it from weathering. If it was really millions of years old, it should have entirely crumbled away by now. The fact that such feldspar crystals are still fresh and shiny, that indicates that they couldn't have been around for the claimed millions of years that the conventional ideas suggest. The problem with the classical model is that every geologist knows that feldspars weather and round fairly rapidly. Despite the fact that it's been purportedly exposed to weathering for hundreds of millions of years, it's still very fresh, as though it was exposed only yesterday. Evidence in the rocks of a cataclysmic flood convinced Philip Honan that the Genesis account of Noah's flood is a record of a real event in recent history. The real evidence fits the creation model much better than it fits the evolutionary model, the slow and steady model. The Bible tells us the whole of the earth was encompassed by water for a period of about a year. And uh, you can imagine the forces that this body of water would have unleashed and uh, it would have completely denuded the whole face of, of the earth as it then was and completely reshaped that earth. Throughout Australia, there are extensive deposits of sedimentary rock that were laid down by water. Did the rocks form gradually, as conventional geology claims, or does the evidence suggest a cataclysmic flood? We know what floods can do. You know, floods of only a, a few tens of metres of depth can absolutely annihilate cities. And So what could a, a body of water of, you know, three plus kilometres deep achieve? And it could, it, it could literally erase mountains and, and create new ones. And it could remove massive bodies of sediment in a very short time very rapid erosion. I believe that the, the present shape of Ayers Rock could have been achieved very rapidly, as recently in a, 
just a few thousand years. With the slow and gradual ideas for the formation of the sandstone at Ayers Rock with the sand being transported long distance, there would have been enough time and distance for the sand grains to be rounded, smooth, and uh, the jagged edges knocked off, and also the, the uh, material to be sorted, the grains to be sorted into layers of different grain sizes. You don't see that in this sandstone at Ayers Rock, you see a mixture which means the process had to be very rapid, catastrophic, picking up the material and transporting it very rapidly. And that had to be very recently, otherwise those felspars would have been weathered away to clay. And when you consider that all that had to form catastrophically and suddenly to get the mixture of grains and those felspars staying fresh, you're talking about catastrophic flood conditions. Close to Uluru is another enigmatic formation of rocks, Catatuta, the Olgas, the tilted and eroded tip of a massive layer of conglomerate, huge rocks, unsorted and cemented together by sand, mostly hidden beneath the earth. It extends for more than six kilometers below the ground and for tens of kilometers on each side. To some, this vast layer of water-transported boulders speaks of a time when the Australian continent was swept by raging waters. At the same time as the uh, sandstone at Ayers Rock was uplifted, other, the other sediments throughout Central Australia were also tilted up and folded. And uh, these sediments show all the evidence of catastrophic deposition underwater. In the heart of Central Australia, there's another geological puzzle, the McDonnell Ranges, eroded, jagged mountains made of strata tipped up on their sides. Geologists think the McDonnells were once as high as the Canadian Rockies, formed when sediment filled a vast basin and hardened into rock, which was later uplifted and distorted. But how could so much sediment build up in the heart of a stable continent, and how could hard rock become twisted and turned on its side. To some geologists, the sheer slabs of rock rising in precipitous cliffs and gorges, flanked with contorted sedimentary deposits, speak not of millions of years of gradual geological change, but of recent catastrophe. The flood model explains much, much better the folding and tilting of these rock layers, because during the flood, the sediments would have been still plastic and soft while they were still wet. And with earth movements at the close of the flood while they were still soft, they would be much more easily bent and twisted. As the waters retreated, the rock units then dry out and they harden into the shapes that we see now exposed at the earth's surface. Fossilised ripple marks in a cave high above Ellery Creek are hard to explain by slow and gradual processes. If the ripple marks had not fossilised rapidly, they would have disappeared. This is totally consistent with a catastrophic flood. Another location in the outback of Australia is the Flinders Ranges, where we also find fossils such as 
archaeocyathids that are related to the modern sponges. These are creatures that would have lived on the bottom of the ocean and therefore this implies that these were buried by sediment on the ocean floor. These are the archaeocyaths. If you just uh, see that round one in there, that's, that would be the cross-section. It's a clear description of uh, a massive flood in that uh, right from the creek bed, right to the uh, top of this range, each rock and each boulder, every bit of this material is chock-block full of the archaeocyaths. At Lark Quarry near Winton, the fossilised footprints of about 300 small dinosaurs have been discovered. Here we would have had dinosaurs that were grazing as the floodwaters were rising. The dinosaurs then scurry away from danger, not only the danger of the dinosaur chasing them, but also the rising floodwaters. They leave their footprints in the soft sediments that are accumulating. Once they have gone, the flood covers in with more sediments those footprints to fossilise them so that we can now see them today. fortune has been made and lost in the wild west of the opal fields of Australia, where some of the most magnificent gems in the world are found. Now the conventional wisdom says that opals take a long time to form because the chemical process of crystallisation is supposedly slow and gradual. Gradualist geologists believe true opals formed slowly over millions of years. But local Aboriginal legends say opals were formed during a great flood. Len Cram, an opal miner at Lightning Ridge, is a self-taught bush scientist who left school at 15 but earned a doctorate for his research on opals. Now, I believe that opal grew very quickly under the correct circumstances, but once it got to a gel stage, I think it took hundreds of years to harden up. See, opal goes hard under water. Natural opal all went hard while it was still, uh, still wet. Len Cran believes that natural opals formed rapidly. Sediment was deposited in a worldwide flood. In a dusty wooden shed in his backyard, he began experimenting by trial and error until he discovered how to grow opals by a process of ion exchange using electrolytes and silica. As he mixes his brew in rows of bottles, the first flash of color appears within minutes. Here. Now they take three months to grow, three months to complete that growth in those bottles. This chemical process can be 
extremely rapid. Opals can be produced in the laboratory. Because that is the case, the timescale for opal to form is totally consistent with the timescale of the global flood. During the flood, the sandstone is deposited. After the flood, we have the groundwater flowing through the sandstone, dissolving the silica, the chemical process occurring rapidly, and within a matter of years, you have the opals within the sandstone that we can now mine today. Some of the world's richest deposits of silver, lead, zinc and copper ores are found at Mount Isa in the heart of the Australian outback. Most geologists believe the ores were deposited by volcanic activity under the sea. The lead, zinc and silver metals that make up the ore at Mount Isa are found in a rock that was once mud. Layers of mud that contain microscopic algae, fossilised. This indicates that these muds were deposited on the floor of the ocean. Research has also shown that to produce these metal-rich mud layers, you needed hot volcanic waters. These undersea volcanic plumes have been called black smokers. A picture of what the volcanism during this global flood would have been like can be seen today on the ocean floor, where today we have undersea volcanoes spewing out hot, salty water, steam. When the hot, salty water hits the cold ocean water today, the salts and the metals come out of solution and are found deposited around these volcanic vents. Calculations have shown that the speed required to form these layers would have been a speed approaching one metre of metal-rich muds every 30 minutes. At that speed, the whole thickness of metal-bearing layers at Mount Isa would have formed in about 20 days. Only a global catastrophic flood would have the tremendous outpourings of hot volcanic waters necessary to deposit metals in mud layers at such speeds. A time when there was volcanism on a grand scale. Under those conditions, large metal deposits like those found at Mount Isa and other places would have formed very rapidly. Coal is a type of fossil made up of layers of buried vegetation. According to conventional wisdom, coal forms in peat swamps over thousands of years as peat accumulates and is buried. Well, if that was the origin of coal, we need to then look at coal layers today to see if they have those same features. We would expect to find lots of roots, a soil in which the plants grew. Coal has never been seen to form in swamps, and there's no evidence that immense peat bogs ever existed in the past. Creationists claim the vast coal deposits in Australia were formed by the burial of immense forests, uprooted by the raging waters of a catastrophic flood.
At Morwell in southern Australia, we find huge deposits of brown coal, thick layers up to 164 metres thick over vast areas. Could the Morwell coal deposits have formed rapidly? Well, if we look at the beneath the coal layer, do we find the roots in which the plants grew in the swamp? No. We find clay, clay that was once volcanic rock, clay that doesn't have any roots in it. In peat swamps, there are always lots of roots, but in coal deposits, virtually all the tree stumps have no roots. We also find that the coal is found in layers, even layers with up to 50% pollen that are up to a metre thick. All this evidence speaks of forests of pine trees that don't grow in swamps today being picked up by vast amounts of water that you would expect in a catastrophic flooding event and uh, carried and buried together with sorting action of the water depositing in, in layers. Lab experiments have shown that heating wood to 150 degrees centigrade can turn it into coal in a matter of weeks. In Adelaide, geologist Dr. Graham Watmuff is a consultant to the mining industry. During uh, a flood such as that described in, in Genesis, uh, you could have forests being overwhelmed by uh, fast-moving floodwaters carrying a lot of sediment and uh, burying forests wholesale very rapidly and catastrophically. If we go to the Newcastle coalfield north of Sydney, what we do find is tree stumps sitting on top of the coal seams. These tree stumps have their roots broken off, indicating that they were ripped up from another location where they grew, were transported here and buried. In the Newcastle coalfields, there are immense polystrate fossils, tall fossilised tree trunks spanning several layers of strata each layer said to represent thousands of years. It had to be a rapid process because if it was slow and gradual over a long period of time, these tree stumps sticking up out of the water, the wood would actually rot. Yet the fact that the tree stumps have been preserved really means that the trees had to be fossilised in less time than it takes for the timber, the wood, to rot. And because they're found buried in volcanic ash, the whole process very catastrophic. The sort of conditions you would expect in a global flood, a catastrophic flood with lots of volcanic activity. swept northern shore of Tasmania, Fossil Bluff near Wynyard, is another geological enigma. Fossilized seashells, corals, and a multitude of now extinct marine creatures are packed together in this sandstone cliff. In this sandstone we see the jumbled remains of many shellfish and corals. This is a fossil graveyard of marine creatures all jumbled up and buried with boulders. 
Also from this location are two very famous fossils that are today housed in the museum at Hobart. The remains of a toothed whale and a marsupial possum. Whales and possums don't normally live together. How would they be buried together? This is all evidence of fast moving water picking up a whale out in the deep ocean and a possum from on the land, burying them together, carrying boulders the size of cars. You need a lot of fast moving water. This is all clearly evidence of a catastrophic flood. Raging waters cover the earth, says the book of Genesis, just a few thousand years ago. The face of the planet was violently changed, most life was destroyed, and the greatest mass extinction ever took place. Now we have seen all these geological evidences from around Australia that I believe point to one conclusion. There was indeed a global catastrophic flood. Even Australian Aborigines believe that they are descended from the people that experienced that global flood and survived it. As a geologist, I believe the evolutionary model. You know, we evolved and therefore we don't need God because uh, we evolved over millions of years from some primordial ooze. And so you know, there was no need for God in my, my thinking, in my world. And I was successful as a geologist and uh, successful as a businessman. So who needed God? I really, it was, um, I was able to, ex to b accept the whole ev evolutionary geological lie, I guess, because um, I've been deluded. I've been totally deluded. As a geologist, now I believe God's word is, is true. Uluru, an upturned monolith in the heart of the Red Desert, the twisted and contorted strata of the McDonnell Ranges, marine fossils on top of mountains, the rapid formation of coal, mineral ores and opals. All these suggest a devastating flood, a flood that's still remembered in the ancient Aboriginal legends of a time when the vast land of Australia was swept by raging waters.